Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. From CNN Audio, this is The Assignment. I'm Audie Cornish. Since the former president of the United States faces 91 felony counts in four criminal cases in four states, you're forgiven for losing track of the state of play when it comes to Trump legal cases. And lost in the mountain of other news are reports that key Trump allies are starting to take plea deals or testify against him. Names that have shocked people who do watch these cases closely. So today on The Assignment, who is flipping and why? Caitlin Polance, CNN's senior reporter on the crime and justice beat, has a cheat sheet for us. Welcome to the show. Hi. You have a lot of notes. I always have a lot of notes. There's a long history here of people flipping on Donald Trump in criminal cases. All right. So I couldn't figure out. I'm like, should we talk about this by case? You know what I mean? Or by group? So we're going to do it by group. The first group I'm going to call the Kraken. Uh, the term kraken, is, it's actually a Scandinavian sea monster because I went and looked it up. <laughs> but the reason why it's a political meme is because of Sidney Powell, who was a one-time associate, possible attorney for the former president. And she herself used the term back on Lou Dobbs Tonight in 2020 to talk about their effort to fight election fraud, so to speak. It's been uh, organized and and conducted with the help of Silicon Valley people, the the big tech companies, the social media companies, and even the media companies. And I'm going to release the Kraken. The idea of the Kraken was that Trump had this machine that was going to fight for him. And of course, later on, they lost, what, 60, 70? 60 some lawsuits. Yeah. And Sidney Powell was behind some of them. And at that time where she was releasing the Kraken, that was when the big push was in court. I mean, there was a lot of disinformation around the election that people like her were perpetuating. But her work as a lawyer was sort of central to the idea of every time she was out there publicly saying, we're releasing the Kraken. The Kraken was, we're suing, we're going to the mat on this. So I put everybody who was, like, fighting this fight on behalf of Trump being his kraken in the same category, right, especially lawyers. I know it's not all the same, but Sidney was sort of leading the charge publicly to many people's mind and became a a meme as a result. But now in this Georgia case in which um, Fonnie Willis, the prosecutor there, is using RICO statutes to prosecute 19 people at once, including Trump— has created a real pressure cooker environment, right? Where all of these people she's alleging were involved in collecting fake electors, signing and forging documents, presenting them to like election interference, trying to interfere with the process. And it goes from Trump all the way down to really small people. So there are some people I expect to flip. (laughs) <laughs> like if you're a person who's saying, oh, I didn't know I was a fake elector. And then there's Sidney Powell, who's at, on a different level. So it was shocking, right, that she has decided to take a plea deal and is pleading guilty. Yeah. Going into her plea, 
it was kind of a surprise because every sign pointed to her wanting to fight and fight and fight. But when you look back at her taking this plea deal, you have other lawyers in Georgia that have taken pleas. Ken Chesbro is the other one that is coming top of mind to me. Jenna Ellis is another lawyer, but she's I'd put her in a separate camp that we'll get to. But Sydney Powell, the Kraken, she's a lawyer. And some people might say she's crazy. Trump and others were saying after the election, she's crazy. She's still a lawyer. She knows how this works. And so she's going to lawyer. And so what she's doing is making a sophisticated calculation She's avoiding a trial alongside Ken Chesbro. So those two were separated out in that Georgia case, even though it's this huge indictment against 19. They were going to go to trial, the two of them first, as lawyers on trial. They know that you cut a deal early, you get a better deal in this context because the prosecutors want their cooperation, they want their information, and they were high enough in the world around Trump after the election that they have stuff to provide. They have information to share. Right. Some of my law and order TV watching is coming back to me now. Yeah. You want to be the first to decide to cooperate if you're going to go down that road. Right, right. The first to squeal gets a better deal. That's the general idea. I Uh, forgot about that. That's Thank you. Also, a lot of people, whenever they're faced with a criminal charge and they're making a choice, their lawyers are saying something to them, if you're just a normal person, you have the risk of going to jail. When you're a lawyer, you also have the risk of losing your law license, not just going to jail, but if you don't go to jail and you just get probation, losing your livelihood and your reputation in a way that you might not have if you're not someone with this special type of license that really matters in what happens in the legal system to you. So yeah. so in her case, she's going to have to issue an apology to the people of Georgia. Well, our understanding is that apology is one sentence. It's extremely short. Oh, OK. It's literally, I'm sorry, Georgia. Something like that. OK. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Sorry for your troubles. <laughs> All right. So you mentioned Sidney Powell and uh, Kenneth Chesborough. Their story is not done. They are going to be cooperating in some way. What kind of ways could that be? Well, it could be in the federal case. We know that they're lined up to cooperate in the state case. So the federal case is Jack Smith looking into election interference. He's focused on Trump. The state case is Georgia looking at the fake elector scheme and election interference specifically in that state. Correct. So in the Georgia case, the dominoes are falling. And that's Sidney Powell is an early domino. Ken Chesbrough is an early domino. Prosecutors are going to use what they're saying in Georgia to try and flip others to pick off the other defendants so that they don't have a massive 16-person trial, so that they can pare it down to just Trump and maybe Trump and a couple others when they actually put the performance on of the trial before a jury. So when she agrees to cooperate in Georgia, does that mean that she will probably cooperate with Jack Smith? That's a good question. We don't know yet exactly how that's going to play out. We don't know if Jack Smith needs and wants her cooperation. There is an understanding among white-collar lawyers that if you're facing an issue in multiple investigations and it's all sort of similar issues that investigators are looking at, you got to resolve them all. But I think we're still waiting to see what will happen in the federal case. But just so people know, like Jack Smith is not hanging out with D.A. Willis. Like these cases are separate. Right. No matter what Trump is out there saying about a vast conspiracy, like these courts are operating on their own timelines with their own judges, their own prosecutors. Very much so. And Smith is ready to go to trial 
it's not until March, but Smith is ready to go to trial against Trump and Trump alone. They have the evidence that they believe they need to try that case. Sidney Powell right now flipping might not matter for that trial itself, but could mean something at a later date. I'm talking with Caitlin Poland, CNN's senior crime and justice reporter. We'll be back in a minute. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. I'm here with Caitlin Polans, CNN senior reporter on the crime and justice beat. And we're talking about the Trump allies who are now cooperating with prosecutors in the various cases against him. I want to talk about an OG flipper, Michael Cohen. He's in the group I would call the Mea Culpas. Yes. He has a podcast actually called Mea Culpa. And he's very explicit about his regrets, like what he has done for Trump, but specifically what happened to his life after. My loyalty to Mr. Trump has cost me everything. My family's happiness, friendships, my law license, my company, my livelihood, my honor, my reputation, and my freedom. I can no longer sit back. And I was thinking of him this past week, not just because he has been testifying. Uh, I think it was the business fraud case in New York. That's right. Civil. A civil trial. Civil trial. But because in Georgia, another one of the people who has taken a plea deal is Jenna Ellis, an attorney. And she gave a very tearful, what? A mea culpa. Mea culpa. Yeah. Describe it. Give me the visual. I mean, literally describe it. I mean, Jenna Ellis stands up in court to speak to the judge in what's called an allocution. Everybody gets to do one. And people usually write their statements. She wrote hers out. Your Honor, for the opportunity to address the court. And she started crying immediately. As an attorney who is also a Christian, I take my responsibilities as a lawyer very seriously, and I endeavor to be a person of sound moral and ethical character in all of my dealings. And not little, like, a tear or two. No, like, a real, really crying. And you see that. Court is really intense. If I knew then what I know now... I would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges. I look back on this whole experience with deep remorse. But if you remember all of the, like, mugshots 
and the dialogue around the mugshots out of the Georgia election oh, she interference was case. In exactly. She looked great in her mugshot. Okay, fair. <laughs> she, she, she did. did. It's a great photo. But it also spoke to the sense of defiance. Yeah, that um, and that was gone on allocution day. It was. Now I will say, Audie. In watching people around Donald Trump and people who are also supporters of Donald Trump, like January 6th rioters, there are people that come into court, stand before a judge, grovel, cry, have their lawyers attest to how they are reformed and completely disavow, and then walk outside of court and say something totally different, get a booking for a right-wing television network and go on and say, you know, the Capitol riot wasn't that violent. That I mean, that has happened. And there's one judge in D.C. that calls it, I've seen the alligator tears Whoa. of the January 6th rioters. We don't know if Jenna Ellis is having alligator tears, but the first thing she said was, as a lawyer and as a Christian, I should have known better. I should have done something different. Michael Cohen has spent a lot of time talking about how he thinks Trump is a bad guy. He disavows what he did. When he first flipped on Trump, it was in the context of the Mueller investigation, he was looking at significant jail time based on taxi medallions and tax fraud, stuff that he was doing on his own apart and separate We should say he pleaded guilty in 2018 to felony charges, and as you said, it included tax evasion and and, and lying to Congress during the investigation into Trump's ties to Russia. And was sentenced and did his full sentence. Exactly. Uh, So he now is speaking against Trump, testifying in different contexts. He spoke to the Manhattan DA, who then brought a criminal case against Trump that still has to go to trial so we could see him as a witness again. But then there's these mea culpa people who are not going to be publicly performative as the antagonist of the person on trial. What do you mean? Like a Jenna Ellis, right? Jenna Ellis, I don't know what it is in her heart and mind either. The attention, the money it takes to be somebody in not just at the bottom of the food chain, but even in the middle of the food chain. To sustain the fight. To sustain the fight, to go to trial. And, you know. Is overwhelming. It is. And this system doesn't work if... Everybody goes to trial. If everybody's recalcitrant and everybody is in the pound sand group staying loyal to who the top person might be. And this is in criminal conspiracies from the mafia to, you know, Medicare fraud, things like that. This is how it works across the board. Prosecutors want people to cooperate to get information, but they also need people to plead guilty because you can't try it. Because you got to move it along. Yeah. Basically. If you don't have the money to pay for your lawyer to take you through trial, you have a problem. That's tough. What has Trump been saying about these reports when they surface? In Trump's world publicly, everyone but Donald Trump is in the wrong. They're all not credible. And so one of the things that's been happening recently with Sidney Powell, specifically Mark Meadows, there's been stories about how much information he's provided prosecutors. Trump is out there talking about their credibility. And it's an interesting moment in that he's a criminal defendant that's going to go on trial. People will be called to testify about him, whether they like it or not. And... The prosecutors at this moment are scrambling to figure out, can they make sure that trial has credibility and that those witnesses before a jury, that they can still try and establish their credibility? Or is Trump just going to impugn everybody one by one as they flip? And so there's questions about gag orders. And I see. This is an important point to underscore because 
There is reporting here and there. People might see it kind of out of the corner of their eye about a judge saying, thou shalt not speak publicly about this trial or a gag order, as it's called. And I think we think about that as just somehow quieting Trump or something. That's what Trump and his team would like you to say. Yeah. But you're saying it's also about like protecting these witnesses, not poisoning the jury pool or not poisoning the credibility of the process itself? Am I reading too much into that? No, no. That's It's really twofold. It's protecting the witnesses so they don't feel harassed or change their testimony or have their testimony influenced in a way because Trump is such a powerful bully pulpit. People can be contacted by his supporters, even if he's not directly telling people to do that. Right. Or doxxed or pursued in one way or another. Which may make someone want to speak differently on the stand. But then there's this other piece of it, which is... If Donald Trump puts the whole story out there about what he wants people to think this person would say and the credibility of that witness, so if he wants to say— So he can literally create a scenario where he's putting out a kind of pseudo-testimony, and then everyone's comparing the notes about whether or not that's real or not, even though he's the one who put it out there in the first place? Right, and these people are public figures. So if he runs around saying, that person's a liar, that person's a liar, that person's a liar, and it's people that Americans would know and those people sit on the jury pool, just because you recognize a name who might be a witness doesn't mean you're thrown off the jury. But it can create a scenario where if people have preconceived notions of how much they can trust what these people are going to testify to, it's up to the jury to decide whether a witness's testimony is credible or not. What are you going to be watching next? I mean, for me, it's Mark Meadows, right? He's the former chief of staff. I feel like he's generally laid low, like he's tried not to be out there as much. And then you find out he's been cooperating. Plus, there was this whole thing of the January 6th investigation kind of having access to all of his texts. I've always wondered, like, what do these texts show? So that's my one to watch is Mark Meadows. He's definitely one to watch. I wouldn't say he's cooperating, though. I would put him in the camp of the people who got a subpoena, had to testify, and did, and his lawyers But they fought it every step of the way. They fought it in different ways, and they ended up negotiating so that he could provide testimony. That's what we know as of now. It doesn't mean that Mark Meadows called up the special counsel's office and said, I'm willing to come clean. I hate Donald Trump now. That's the one name as you're reading. You should not think this person flipped. I would not put Mark Meadows in the in the flipper category. But what he has to say could be quite damaging on the stand. You can have an effective witness who is somebody that is really close to – I don't know if Mark Meadows is close still to Trump, but – He's close to the Republican Party. He could still say certain things on the stand and still be damaging in the context of the whole case because the whole case is a large picture. Your star witness isn't always necessarily the person who points the finger and says, that's the criminal, that's the bad guy, put him in jail, jury. It doesn't really work like that at trial. So what are you going to be watching for? Well, trial, of course. <laughs> I love a You're trial. You're saying that. Exci- <laughs> you love a trial. We're talking four trials yeah. in four states heading into 2024, right into election stuff. It is. I start to cringe when I look at the calendar. Don't. <laughs> it's information. The great thing about court is that there's so much 
primary source information that comes out, and you have a judge that is, say what you will about judges politically, they are in that seat to be arbiters of the truth. Right. And by primary sources, you quite literally mean so many people. Mark Meadows text messages. Talking. People talking. Evidence. On the record, under oath, can be prosecuted for lying if they lie on the stand. And also lawyers can't really misrepresent things too much in court because they'll lose their bar li- Like, it's just this way to flesh out the truth. And there are people who have been wrongly accused in American history, people who have been wrongly convicted. However, when you're looking, especially in these heavily political cases, information comes out in court that you can't get anywhere else unless somebody had subpoena power in a criminal prosecution. Do you think this will, particularly the case in Georgia and one of Jack Smith's case on election interference, do you believe that they will finally flesh out the whole story, so to speak, on what led up to January 6th? Maybe, although the House Select Committee did a very thorough job of this in that they got a lot of people in to testify or interview. They did their hearings publicly. There might not be a more powerful series of moments than those hearings because they were on they were which televised. have happened already right and they so were so what's under the oath. value of the trials to you that this is the justice part of it so to speak yeah I would say it's the next step seeing seeing if there is some sort of justice and also fleshing out the law one of the things I don't know if Donald Trump will be convicted or not and frankly I'm just there to witness it the crazy thing about Trump as a political figure, as a president, is that he tested the law in all kinds of ways. The system of government, democracy, the three branches of government, the separation of powers, he tested those things in ways that nobody has ever tested them before, including parts of the Constitution nobody has really even cared about in court since they were written down in the 1700s. There are questions about the presidency that we are grappling with as a country because the justice system has to grapple with them, because judges are going to have to look at them. Does the president have absolute immunity for anything he does while he is president? That question is going to be resolved very likely in the course of not just potentially this criminal case in federal court, but also in the course of civil cases related to January 6th. Or the other big question, how far can a president go to challenge an election? Right. Right? Like at what point, what's the line between pressure, doing something legal and doing something illegal? Because we didn't ever really have to answer this question before. Where's the line between the presidency and a campaign? Where's the line of the First Amendment? These are real, very serious questions that are coming through the court system right now because of these cases, and not just in the January 6th case for Trump or cases in Georgia and D.C., but also in the classified documents case. That's another one. And then the the Georgia case adds in these other questions of what can states do? How much of this should be in a state court by state prosecutors before a state judge? And so these questions are the things that really excite me, and I like to see how they play out because they give us a better understanding of 
what we're doing here. They're also something that only this branch of government can and should, in a way, handle, meaning all of these different states can't figure those election questions out, right? Right. Interpret the law, right? Interpret so somebody the law. wrote down the, the First White House Amendment. certainly can't do it, right? Talk, figure out, put its own guardrails around its own power. So as much as Trump has spent a lot of time saying that this branch of government has been weaponized against him, I hear you saying to me something really thoughtful, which is like this is actually the only branch of government equipped to handle the questions that came out of the last two to three years. Yes. And the heart- and can do something about it. Yes. Well, Caitlin, this is really hard to keep track of and not so easy to explain. So now I know why you brought a highlighter in here and, and a legal notebook. I appreciate you coming in. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was CNN's crime and justice reporter, Caitlin Polance. That's all for this episode of The Assignment, a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Dan Bloom and Anna Sterla. Matt Martinez is the senior producer of our show. Dan DeZula is our technical director. The executive producer of CNN Audio is Steve Lichtai. And special thanks always to Katie Hinman. I'm Audie Cornish, and thank you for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.